Hi, and welcome to the Dewing Grain podcast. Each week, Andrew Dewing will talk you through the current market, giving you up-to-date information and insider advice. He will also be interviewing a leader in the world of agriculture and finishing up with Farm Chat, which includes his favourite bit, where he tastes beer for free. So let's start with Andrew Dewing and his market report. Welcome to the Market Report. What follows is my thoughts or gut instincts of what the market is going to do. It is not an instruction to trade. Any decision to trade is yours. Market Report, week commencing 7-1-19. Looks slightly better on the gravestone with another, another year on there. We'll start with, what should we start with? Wheat. Uh, X farm feed wheat for January, £168 a tonne. Uh, if you're selling it for March, you'd make 170 prospects for that it's really boring at the moment it seems that the consumers are reasonably happy and not really in the marketplace but even more happy and more content seems to be the farming community who just are relaxed and feeling quite content with the world so not a lot of trade going on at some point the wheat that has to be sold will be traded and it's who breaks first I don't see a lot of movement in the next month or two because there are some boats going out of the eastern counties which will keep the buyers in in the mix long enough. Longer term is as much about politics as anything else and we're not going to dwell on that today. We'll stick with old crop and then move to new crop separately. So old crop feed barley, 165x for Jan. I don't see the market moving up or down on it. It's it's kind of in a very flat place. There is some more boats trading. We're going to sell another boat of our stock of feed barley before we get to the end of March because we want it out of the country in case tariffs appear. Malting barley, well, show us a sample of what you've got left. We're, we're here to buy and trade malting barley. There's limited samples out on farm. You do really need to get an idea of what or when you want to move it. You can't just suddenly turn up in May and say, oh, look, I've got some, some malting barley. Who's going to buy it? A lot of the, the runs on various varieties are gone by then. So start sorting out what you've got left to trade. Oilseed rape uh, is still holding firm. We still hold the opinion it's going to stay firm. Uh, currently, the value as we go into the new year, 323 X farm for February. Yeah, we think there's, you know, maybe five or six pounds upward movement in that. Hopefully, our target is 330 X farm. And as soon as we achieve that, we'll be knocking on the door several of our store guys and saying, let's book the price. Obviously, the bonus is added to that. So it's a good return. Moving on to new crop, the value for feed barley, first of all. We're really reluctant at the moment to really go heavily into buying feed barley because we've got no one who's going to buy it from us. There's a, there's a real reluctance out there. We'll put a nominal value of 125x farm for harvest because we know we can get around trading that. But until we get a, a clear indication of what the position's going to be with tariffs on exports, then um, we're going to second guess there's going to be tariffs and hence that price. If there aren't tariffs uh, and we've done some sort of deal, then, then maybe things will be different. If you want a firm value, historically, 125x farm for feed barley at harvest is a brilliant price. As far as wheat is concerned, if you took harvest value into our stores, we would pay 153 delivered. Again, historically, a brilliant price. If you are happy to hold it for a month or two on the farm or you've got the facilities to do so, you make 155x farm for November. These are fantastic prices. This is a serious profit. And we've said on numerous occasions in, in our earlier podcasts that the risk you face as a business is political, which we have no clear indication of what's going to happen next. You're, you're looking at a very good, profitable trading position. And th- those of you that are still ignoring it, you obviously know more than I do. 
As far as oilseed rape is concerned, again, historically forward, a good price, 312 for harvest movement delivered into a local store is where we're at at the moment. Uh, bonuses on top of that, it should be a, a good, profitable season. Yeah, again, we don't know what's going to happen next on oilseed supplies either, although the acreage is down, as we know. I think that the key issue I want to talk about on new crop is the autumn was excellent for the areas like Norfolk that can grow late drilled stuff that comes after potatoes and sugar beet this year. The very late drilled stuff has has caught up. It's been a really ideal autumn and the prospects for this coming harvest are as good as they've ever been. Now when I've been speaking to to several of my farmers and asking them about the, the, the condition of their crops and as I say the ones that went in late there was very good soil conditions. There hasn't been that much rain so they've been able to get onto the onto the fields without causing damage after sugar beet, after potatoes, and because it's been so mild, the crop has caught up. Now, all right, there is potentially a lack of rain that could become an issue later in the year, but at the moment, it's the winter and we keep getting uh, top-ups and it isn't an issue. I think that the prospects for this coming harvest at this moment is as good as they've ever been, so let's not lose sight of that issue from a pure trading perspective as well. That's it. We're off. We're away. 2019. Let's hope you all make lots of money and let's hope you all enjoy yourselves while you're doing it. Welcome back. Thank you for listening. Please remember that any decision to trade on this opinion is yours. On a sad note, I would like to mention the passing of Richard Johnson, who died over the Christmas period. Richard was, without doubt, one of the greatest characters of the Norfolk grain trade. I don't know his full history. I came across him as a young trader at at Berry Market, and he certainly kept you on your toes. If the market was booming through the roof and he caught you as a young lad, he would be buying all of your samples off you and then selling them for a tenner extra about five minutes later. So you you had to be bright enough to work out what Richard was about. But he was uh, someone who had the courage to set up on his own, uh, he left, I think he worked for Burroughs in Bressingham, and he set up his own business in uh, Snetterton, which has now become a massive storage complex uh, and a very, very successful business. And uh, he used to stick his neck out. He used to be larger than life. Most of the stories of Richard can't be told on air, bluntly, but he was a great guy. And I remember vividly when I set my business up in uh, 2006, he phoned me up, and um, I'll do a bad impression here. Well, boy. I'm really proud of you. Most of the trade ain't got the balls to do it, but good on you. I'm right behind you. And by the way, if you want to buy some old aeration equipment, I've got some round the, round the back of the sheds at Snetterton. We can sort that out over a bottle of scotch down the Larling Angel. Forgive me, anyone who knows Richard well, but that summed up the conversation, and I, I didn't phone him back about the aeration because I knew they'd have massive great holes in or they're rusty. But um, no, bless him, he was a great guy, and he was phenomenally supportive of me in my early days. So um, good on you, and uh, you know, uh, you're a great memory, Richard. Thanks very much. And now it's time for our feature. This morning, I've got with me Sam Watson Jones. Uh, he's the co-founder of the Small Robot Company, which is an agritech startup business. Good morning to you, Sam. Morning. How are you? Yeah, great. Yeah, travel down to the big smoke today, and uh, you're, you're living down here, I understand. Yeah, I am. So we've been living down here for five, six months now. Um, had, we did the reverse of what most people do. We had, we had three, kid, three, three kids and three and a half years in the country, and then we moved back into the city after that. Blimey. I think, first of all, we'd like to find out a little bit about... Um, you know, your background, where you come from. 
Yeah, so uh, I am I'm 34. I uh, have been um, worked. I worked in the city for for five years after after leaving university, mm-hmm. uh, which was a deliberate move. I sort of decided by the end of university that I was interested in the family business and wanted to go back at some point. The family business is a farm in Shropshire, or it's it started as a farm in Shropshire. It's now it's now a farm in Shropshire and a few other things, but. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it's uh, we've been on the same site since sort of the the forties in in Shropshire, and I'm the fourth generation um, running the farm there, and Dad's still uh, still there and, and, and very much involved. Um, and yeah, we're an arable and poultry farm, um, growing sort of conventional arable crops: wheat, barley, uh, all seed, rape, uh, beans, and then we sell broiler chickens to Moy Park. Okay, so you've you're di- you're diversifying. You've you've moved back into the city. Um, you know what exactly are you trying to achieve is you're linked into the farm yeah, and you're doing something yeah. in agriculture. Yes. So what's what's your motivation? I knew. So I have spent seven years working in the family business, um, and I think partly because I'd been away and done other stuff before I came back into farming, I could see quite quickly actually when when i came back that, that what we were doing just just wasn't going to work in the in the long term you know it had worked up to up to that point but there definitely needed to be some some fairly significant change in the way that we the way that we managed our farm the way we thought about our farm uh started to think about it like you would think about an investment portfolio so uh-huh. when you, so if you had a a pot of money to invest you know if you had capital to allocate somewhere yeah. you would typically spread the risk of that so yeah. if i thought about how our how our capital was allocated we've got a big chunk of capital allocated to land mm-hmm. which is the kind of steady and secure bit there's a big chunk of capital a smaller chunk of capital but still pretty big involved in the actual operation of farming so you know we are machines we, machines yeah, yeah. so yeah. We, you know we are That's investing and, and and staff and uh, and, yeah. and and all that stuff we are investing money every year and we've never thought about it really in this way mm. but we are investing money every year in the activity of in the activity of farming but then, as I said, the that bit was 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 too tightly uh, too tightly correlated, if you like, mm-hmm. and uh, and and we didn't have anything where there was the potential to really uh, overperform and really uh, mm-hmm. and, and really uh, deliver some really exciting returns. Okay. So that was the initial sort of the initial thinking around uh, doing something different. So how did we get to this? Is the obviously the high risk original thought. The concept of small how robot did company. you yeah how did you get to the small robot company so the initial idea isn't mine um, and uh, and, it, and it's worth saying that the the initial idea comes out of Harper Adams University mm-hmm. um, so a guy called Simon Blackmore who who pioneered this concept of asking well what if we didn't have big tractors what if we had small smart machines the family farms three miles away from from Harper so I'd always been aware of what Simon was doing mm-hmm. And it really resonated with me because because actually I could see uh, a, f- a few different areas where where the, the machinery that we were using just wasn't really working um, yep. in in its current form. So, for example, uh, I knew it wasn't um, I knew it wasn't making us more money every year. You yeah. know, we, I knew that we that, that that tractor prices might go up. You know. Five ten percent in a year, but we didn't. You know, the year after we bought that tractor, we didn't make five to ten percent more profit. So, if the profit, if the if the revenue was the same that we were generating from this more expensive machine, but the machine was more expensive, then then what were we doing? You know, we yes. were basically just eroding our own eroding our own margins. And I also knew that 
the machinery wasn't working in the way that it interacted with the soil, and and that was they they were the two the two pillars so we're talking that were compaction. Change. We're talking yeah we're talking compaction and soil erosion okay. really. So so compaction necessitating ploughing. Mm-hmm. Um, or cultivation of some sort mm-hmm. um, in order to sort of reset the soil and then that enabling a load of soil erosion. So, so the, two, the two key um, moments around that for me were firstly a bit of research that Simon Blackmore had done which said that, um, that the UK loses 2.2 million tonnes of soil per year. Um, yeah, to mo- soil most of that's off Haysborough Cliff in Norfolk. Well, they don't, <laughs> the government don't defend it, by the way. Sorry, um, I, I, I don't know it. I'll have to take your word. I'll have to take your word for it. Um, and the and then the second one was just a purely anecdotal conversation I had with a guy who used to work for my uh, for my grandfather, who's lived next door to the farm for thirty years, and he said that the that the field outside his house was a foot to a foot and a half lower than it, than it had been when he when he when he first moved in, and I just thought, well. Well, what are we doing? You know, if, we, if we're if our if our profit margins are eroding because we keep buying these bigger and bigger machines, and our our physical farm is actually disappearing mm. um, over time, there's got to be something significant that we do differently. Mm. Um, and it just felt like the it felt like the, the the whole system didn't make sense. Key to the key <clears> to the thinking here is the starting point is digitization. Yeah. Okay. And, okay. And, and and you start with a digital view of the of the farm and we define so we that's more a square open. inch as opposed to a rough Well, square yeah. Yard. I mean let's you know, we'll start with a square meter and then we'll and then we'll and then we'll refine down okay. the, the size of the chess pieces, if you like, on okay. the on, on the chess but board. The, but the opportunity with digi- digital is literally is down to the square inch. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and and what would how would our understanding of the farm how would our how would our thinking about the farm change if we did understand our field on the square meter or even the square mm. inch basis and we've never got anywhere near that the management unit is is the field in the same way as it was for my great grandfather mm. we think about this field of wheat how am i treating this field of wheat we should be thinking how am i going to treat this square meter and then there's another square meter next to it or am i going to treat that in the same way or a different way well it'll vary depending on the health of the crop the makeup of the soil, and so on and so forth. I think I'd like you to tell me who Tom, Dick and Harry are. <laughs> so Tom, Dick and Harry are three small robots that we're hoping are going to change the way we, we manage and think about our, our farms. So this concept uh, came from, really came from discussions with, with farmers. Um, so uh, I was introduced to my co-founder, Ben Scott Robinson, um, through Simon Blackmore at Harper Adams, Ben is an experienced tech entrepreneur. Um, he is taking a couple of startups um, from from startup to sale, and he was really excited about this uh, uh, in terms of the the user experience of robotics and how could how could this be just a, a really great use case for robotics. Came up with this idea of well, let's call them Tom, Dick, and Harry, so that, so that farmers can uh, can relate to them. So Tom is a is a monitoring robot. Um, mm-hmm. So the idea is Tom goes out into the field and he monitors each individual plant in that field. So that he's he's taking a really high quality image and placing it um, with a high degree of accuracy to within two centimeters on a map, so that you know where every single plant in your field is. Is Tom the bloke who's going to the bloke? <laughs> is Tom the person who is going to probe the ground and check the soil? Yeah. So so that so we're not doing that yet. But yes, in time, Tom That's will be what, a okay. Tom. To, to, Tom is all about. Digitizing the field, which means to us, uh, per plant view of the field and a per square meter view of the soil. 
That's okay. how we define okay. digi a so digital view of the field. Tom is the first. Tom is the, Tom is the first robot into the field, and so he's already he's already on farms uh, a, a, around the country. Um, he's on several places in East Anglia and uh, and in the west of England. And Have you ventured into Norfolk yet? We haven't ventured into Norfolk. Well, anyone out there? <laughs> anyone out there? Uh, get in touch. Although um, we've uh, we've got our group of twenty farmers that we're that we're currently working with. The closest we can get is, is Suffolk. We are in Suffolk. I know. Is that is that a dirty word? On no, no, no. We, I, I'm a very open-minded Norfolk and Suffolk uh, <laughs> friendly person. We've had a conversation about Ipswich and Norwich football in the past. And, uh, it is it is for some an emotional subject. But anyway, that, uh, Norfolk is our is our is our heartland. So yeah. Um, so so Tom Tom is the the monitoring robot. Uh, he then uh, he then sends data to Wilma. So Wilma's the Wilma's the AI driven operating system. So she is the boss. Oh, she so is. You've put a woman in charge. We've put a woman in charge, which is always the most sensible thing to do. <laughs> so Wilma gathers the data, analyzes it, and then presents it in a format that is useful to the farmer. So she is data analytics, and she is a software platform that the, that the farmers interact with. So we take the so we take the plant level data from Tom. Analyzed by Wilmot, and then we send Dick and Harry out to, to do something about that. So, so Tom is recognizing um, where diseases are, where in, in the field, where um, weeds are in the field. Dick is a micro spraying and non chemical weeding robot. So, Tom is saying, right, there is a there is a uh, there is a weed here to this exact location within two centimeters. Dick then goes out and kills that weed without the need to use chemicals. Okay. Um, and the the second part is is around micro spraying, so around um, dosing individual plants with chemicals with fertilizer in the amounts that that they're needed and and only the plants that that require it. And then the final robot is Harry, and Harry is a what we call a digital planter. So that's basically placing an individual seed in the ground um, and varying the seed spacing and the seed depth again based on artificial intelligence. So. So Wilma uh, and and Harry, if you like, are, are holding in their head um, all of the all of the data that um, that is uh, anywhere in the world on the plant that they are putting in the ground. So if it is milling wheat, they have uh, they have all of the research available anywhere around what's the optimum seed spacing and seed depth for this particular variety of milling wheat in this particular soil type planting uh, in this particular part of the world targeting this particular market and where that gets exciting is um, for, 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 for guys like you is around feeding in the market data into that into that robot as it's in the field so so imagine a, a, a drilling robot that goes out into the field and makes an assessment of profitability as it is as it is yeah, going okay. as it is going through the field so so we say okay so we're on some some light sandy soil therefore our our likely yield bracket is seven to nine tons per hectare say uh, and then we say uh, okay so we know that the likely marketable value of this crop in the next marketing window is going to be 150 to 170 pounds per ton Therefore, um, you know the robot decides. You know the ro the robot decides, uh, and obviously, as we go through the growing season, those those parameters refine. Um, but but we but the robot decides as it's in with with all the best knowledge that it's got. Okay, unlikely to be profitable. Therefore, don't plant it because because that's one of the other crazy things that we do as farmers is we every year we engage in unprofitable activity you know we 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 don't, I mean, don't know until you get to the end of the season and we go well we shouldn't have done that well it, technically it's cheaper sometimes with the fixed cost that you have to do something with the fixed cost 
than not. It's kind of one of those, you know, there's been a number of times when when uh, there is too much reliance on hope, without <laughs> a doubt. Um, but if you have a number of costs spread over a number of fields, if you reduce the number of fields that you're using, there's less of a loss by physically doing it. I, I, I hear what you say, but it's it's... That's one of the really difficult ones, isn't it? It's getting that fixed cost down, I guess, or something. Yeah, it is. But, but, but again, so, so the mindset there is we've got this machinery. We've got to do something with it. Yeah, and, right. and so, right. And so, so, that, so that leads on to, um, to, to our thinking around calling this, this, this thing that we call farming as a service. So, um, so rather than uh, owning the robots or owning machinery, we're suggesting that actually in time that will change and farmers' attitudes towards that will change. And so we're leasing these, these robots out on a, on a per hectare basis. And that's, that's one of the reasons, because we have this mindset where we kind of, like, our machines already run our farms for us. You know, we, 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 have, this, we have this machinery, so we think, well, we've got to use it. And if I'm going to make it more profitable, well, I, I better get a bit more land. So then we start paying yeah. crazy money for, you know, we're either buying or renting land because it makes us feel better about the amount of machinery that we've got. And then, and then we buy the next machine up, and then that means that we, you know, that we need to, you know, take on more land and, and, and things and things happen in, in blocks because the machinery that we use has started to completely dominate uh, our thinking. I really can't comment on that. It'll be a Gerald rat in a moment. Um, you're right. There is an element of that that goes on sometimes, but it's it's what it, the, you know, agriculture has evolved in the same direction for a long period of time, which mm. is why we're having this conversation now. Yeah. It's, it's, can we? What can we do that could potentially improve what we are, um, how we farm by by ten times rather than ten percent? And as soon as you think ten times, will you 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 immediately reject um a, a certain a certain amount of, of of obvious innovation you know you immediately reject well we wouldn't be 10 times more accurate if we just had bigger tractors you know we wouldn't be able to reduce our inputs by 10 times if we just had auto nozzle shut off mm. um you know so you think well what could we do that that might enable us to get there mm. um and and really it's about going back to to first principles and and thinking, well, how do we maximise the way that we use technology to produce food? That's sort of the founding principle of of what we're of what we're doing. Right, Sam, because we're we're going to we're going to dig deeper for the second part of this. If anyone wants to know more about the background of of how Sam got to set up the small robot company, please listen to Rock and Roll Farming podcast episode eighty seven. Thank you very much, Sam. Cheers, man. thanks. Ben Burgess Crop Storage offer a wide range of equipment from handling, processing and storage of harvested crops. From initial advice on any aspect of crop handling and storage through to design, supply, build and installation of complete intake, drying, dressing and storage plants. The Ben Burgess Aftercare Support Team includes dedicated technicians who are also on hand to service all crop storage machinery too. So you're always looked after. Visit benburgess.co.uk or search Ben Burgess Crop Storage for more information on how the team can assist you. And now it's time for Farm Chat. 
Happy New Year. Here we go again. We're starting 2019 with a bang. And in true New Year's resolution fashion, we are going to be taking water on board for the first four weeks of the year in our tasting session. Dry January, isn't it? Dry January, which I reckon will last about... Well, it's the Norfolk dinner on the 21st, I think, so... <laughs> yeah, have to cross your fingers and carry on drinking that day, but otherwise, will we make it all the way through the month? Yeah, why not? Uh, OK, right, we have got, classically... Well, we're looking at a big uh, corporate here. We've got Perrier Natural uh, Sparkling Mineral Water. Mm. Sadly, a very big difference from our usual sort of craft Norfolk <laughs> beers, but... Um, hey, yeah. think of our livers. Oh, it tastes like sparkling water. <laughs> it's a good sparkling it's a water. Little never sparkle. Never thought I'd be discussing this. <laughs> so, I mean, this uh, this week, Andrew, we thought um, coming into the new year, we were thinking about the merchant's dream. The merchant's dream of what they'd like farmers' New Year's resolutions to be. I mean, we, we had a bit of a conversation about this at the board with one or two people, and uh, and asked, you know, if you were to to get farmers to kind of just kind of do things in a way that made life a little easier sometimes. What would be the resolutions you'd like them to adopt so on which where, where do you want to start then <clears throat> so we'll start with the most popular and this is quite an interesting one we'll talk about this number one actually be available for loading in the month you sell the grain for oh, delicate. <laughs> yeah, i mean i'd have to say um october november december and january might happen to coincide with the shooting season for several. I, I guess it's <laughs> it's impossible to cherry pick which day you're going to be busy through through certain months of the year, like March onwards, because it might be the dry day and it might be the less windy day or whatever. But certainly when we've got past drilling and into the winter, it is social versus... And if you could really get organised, like obviously I am at all times with my, my diary perfectly kept, you would kind of know which days you're going to be busy and say, I'd like to sell it for November, but I would like to miss that date, that date and that date. And at the start of the month, you could kind of know in advance and it would make life easier for the for poor Emma, who's trying to get the, the, the lorries to move stuff. Well, and, and every merchant around. And, you know, it's the same to everybody. It's 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 a classic. You've got a boat going and you find out the guy who's next door to the port and say, I'd like to move your wheat. And he says, I can't. <laughs> And then the farmer gets upset with you for wanting to load it that day. It's like, ooh. Yeah. Okay, number two. This, <laughs> this, is, this applies not just to seed, but this is, this is, a, this is a... I'll let you read this one out here. Well, this, this one, uh, pay for your seed on time. I mean, norm, normally it's the other way around, as in we tend to be paying the customer, the payer. So it's unusual. It's a very small side of the business isn't it but um people don't pay on time if we don't pay on time we get shot so i think the industry is kind of saying one rule for one should apply across well several people obviously pay on time and they're very good and very organized other people think it's some kind of game and other people yeah certainly the trade on block aren't overwhelmingly happy with that particular issue because it's kind of double standards so yeah i i, I can get that money is very hard uh, to manage mm. What have we got next down the list? Supply your grain in spec. Yeah. Wouldn't life be great if there wasn't any 15.2 moisture claims going into a mill? There's always a lot of misery around that. Rejections, the whole lot, arguing moisture claims. Just... Just, a, just an allowance, just one, you know, it's £2.50 a tonne and the, because the grain is 15.3 or something. And if everything was absolutely dry and perfect, it would be seamless. It would be a dream, it would be easy, yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, that, that's, that it, is such a bone of contention. It does. I mean, th- this does take us on to our next one, actually. It leads in quite well. Except that your uh, £600 moisture meter is not as accurate as ours, which costs about 24000 Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, it, uh, I, I, my favourite uh, assessment of moisture is the, the guy who's got a dryer and he does the drying himself at harvest time while he's combining himself. So in other words, he, he combines it and he gets the stuff into the bin. He sets the dryer up, puts some grain through that was perhaps dried at, cut at four in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. He continues combining and, and the, the tractor drivers fill the bins up and he set the dryer going and he checks it every now and again. And just before, you know, he goes in for his supper at whatever time of night they work till in, in, in harvest time, he, he'll check it. And then he'll go in, watch the 10 o'clock news, and think, right, before I go to bed, I'll check it again. Oh, it's crept up a little bit. You know, I'll turn on, I'll turn it up or turn it down a bit and let it run a bit longer. And in that period of time, how many tonnes went through that was creeping through at 15.4, 15.5 or higher? And it's kind of like the answer that I've been given is, I drive that myself every single tonne. You did, but you didn't check the moisture every 15 minutes or every 10 minutes like we do to make sure that we're staying in spec the whole time. It's a, it's a saving a few pennies because uh, you're doing it yourself and don't, it doesn't cost you anything. It just costs you the fuel, but is it done as accurately? Mm. Probably not, no, unfortunately. We certainly you in a bad way. You're looking worried or anything, and we're really having a pop here. <laughs> no. but this is the grain trade saying... Slaughtering the customer base, These it? Yeah, these <laughs> resolutions. There's a Gerald Ratner moment. <laughs> right, that's enough of offending everybody. I suppose in the interest of balance, we should allow a bit of comeback. So if you have... Thoughts about what you'd like your merchants to do, then let us know uh, on Twitter or anywhere else. And I'll make sure I include them in next week's episode. Perfect. Happy New Year. Year. Happy New Year. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to get new episodes as they're released. Dew and Grain are independent and local grain traders. From seed supply to harvest movement and storage contracts, we can supply you with the best strategies to help you achieve the highest prices for your harvest. Call now on 01263 731 550 or email info at dewandgrain.co.uk or follow us on Twitter. We are at dewandgrain. The Dewing Grain podcast is produced by Tinshed Productions in conjunction with East Coast Design Studio. 